Hello and welcome to another episode of the True to You podcast. I'm so glad to be here with you today and share this epic conversation that I have with Alison Shamir. But before I get into sharing a little bit about the episode, publishing this episode couldn't have come at a better time. We're talking about imposter syndrome today and we're about to get in the room on Saturday with 35 of our Creator Club members. Creator Club is the business coaching program that I co-run with my husband, John. So yeah, we've got people flying in from all over Australia. We've got someone coming from Canada, which is crazy, right? Considering we couldn't have done this a lot in the last nearly three years, but the fact that we get to be together with everyone, be in the room, learning, growing, up-leveling, their businesses and hanging out with awesome people is an absolute privilege. But of course that comes with all the nerves and the final things that we have to get organized, setting up the room tomorrow, doing final run throughs, all of that. Yeah, you could say that that it's an interesting feeling until the moment you step on that stage or you walk in that room and you get to be with everyone you're getting all of the little things together and you totally don't know how it's all going to come together on the day but I know it's going to be incredible and so my guest today Alison Shamir is talking about something called imposter syndrome or imposter phenomenon as it's also being called which is something that a lot of people know about but they might not know what it actually means for them and whether it's something that they actually suffer from. Now doing this event's been really interesting because of course every time you up level in your business, every time you get a new level of exposure, you're in bigger rooms with more people, you're doing things outside of your comfort zone, feelings come up. Should I should I be doing this? Am I qualified to be doing this? What if they think I'm a fraud? What if no one turns up? (laughs) And sometimes those thoughts are self-doubt and sometimes those thoughts could be imposter syndrome. So I thought today I would get Alison on the show to have a conversation about her own experience, her lived experience with imposter syndrome and how she helps people to navigate those treacherous waters that we feel when we are going after our goals, when we're trying to achieve a certain level of success, you can experience imposter syndrome. And it's a very real thing. It's something that Alison has experienced and also has a lot of tools to be able to support you with. So This is a great episode, not just for the small business owners, but she also helps people a lot in the corporate sphere. Anybody can feel like this at any point in time. And sometimes as you'll hear in Alison's story, it feels like it can come out of the blue and take you by surprise. So I really recommend you have a listen. And if you want to reach out to Alison, all of her details are in the show notes if you're interested in working with her and getting her support. Enjoy this conversation with Alison Shamir. This is episode 131 of the True To You podcast. 
Welcome to the True To You podcast, your go-to show for practical wisdom to build a meaningful, creative small business. You'll find content on marketing, mindset, and tons of experts who want to help you grow a thriving small business that you love. My guests are exceptionally creative women building businesses from their zone of genius, all while balancing many other roles in their life. I'm your host, Ruby Marsh. Let's do this. How did you manage the imposter syndrome (laughs) moving from the corporate into business? How did you manage that? Because there's still, even though, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine there were still probably times where you talked then about experimenting and trying different things and changing pricing and all of that. Did, Did it ever come up or... Do you feel as though you'd worked through enough that you were able to stop it in its tracks or manage it with the tools that you have? I was able to to stop it in its tracks. So by the time I launched my own business, I had already conquered my own imposter syndrome and conquered it so so much that even in at the beginning, about six months, five or six months into starting my business, so it was about to, approaching the end of 2019, I had my only sort of major bout of imposter syndrome since launching the business and it came back out of nowhere um and and i'll sort of share more on that in a moment because i think the important thing to share on what you just said is if you're someone who's experiencing imposter syndrome and you're trying to do these things that we're talking about it will work against you so the most important thing you can do is get a handle on your imposter syndrome either before you launch the business or certainly as you're in your beginning stages of navigating it. It may launching a business or stepping into entrepreneurship or stepping out of corporate into whatever it is you want to do may very well be the trigger of your imposter syndrome. So you're going to have to deal with it right up front. But it's important to understand that it is a real thing. And I'll explain you know, in, in detail what it is in a moment. But don't ignore that because imposter syndrome will stay with you. You cannot, I often say this in my keynote talks, you can't, it's not survivor. You can't outwit it, outmaneuver it, duck under it. No amount of success will make imposter syndrome go away. In fact, success can exacerbate it. It can make it speed up. It can make it, you know, come back in far more stronger ways. So it's important that we get a handle on it. Um, back, Back to your question, Ruby. Nine years ago in 2013, when I was still in my corporate um, position, is when I had my most extreme bout of imposter syndrome. And that moment is what led me to have a very severe um, panic attack whilst I was at work. And the panic attack was so severe that, and I was under I was under high stress at the time in the role and those sorts of things, but I actually did believe I was having a mental breakdown. And it was a really horrifying experience because, um, you know, I talk about it in my talks, I was alone, I made it to the cubicles in the office bathroom, and I felt like walls were closing in on me. And it was just a really frightening experience, because I felt completely out of control. Like I felt like a complete out of body experience. Now, if you're listening to this, not everybody who has imposter syndrome has panic attacks. So please don't be 
alarmed. This is just my unique journey. And that was the catalyst of change for me to work out what's going on with me. What the hell is this? It's happened before, but not this extreme. And that was a journey of uncovering that I was experiencing something called imposter syndrome. And then I literally became obsessed with learning everything I could about it so I could cure myself. Um, I don't shy away from the fact that I was in a perfect, I was very much a perfectionist. I was very much liked control. I didn't like to feel out of control and I felt completely out of control. So I went on this desperate, you know, just conquest of like, what the hell is this? How do I fix myself? You know, because I was desperately seeking for um, answers. And so that was the journey. And so I did a lot of the self-work. So fast forward into 2019, I already had a strong handle on my imposter syndrome. But why it crept up when I um, ran my own business is just this constant pressure. I mean, being a coach, being a speaker, I was also fortunate enough to do some media work early in my career. And the, uh, what's the way to put this, the exposure on me and the eyeballs that were watching me and the things that were coming out of the woodwork, I felt a pressure like I'd never felt before. This pressure to, which is uh, quintessential imposter syndrome, is, is that pressure to what if I don't perform this well again? What if I can't replicate the amazing success of the first couple of months? So imposter syndrome might, makes you start to question yourself, even though you have all of this evidence of your success and all of this evidence that you will be able to continue or replicate or figure it out. And so that real fear of, oh my goodness, are they going to find out that I'm not good enough to be here. I'm not worthy enough of all of these accolades or to be on television. And it did pop back up and it came back, came out of nowhere. It literally happened. It probably didn't happen overnight, but this is what it, what it felt like. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks, which to the point where I, the anxiety come back. I remember being in my kitchen here and literally sort of holding onto the bench and I didn't have another panic attack, but I felt this anxiety come over my body of just fear fear of performance, fear of returning to my desk. I thought, oh my goodness, this is my imposter syndrome coming back. I need to sit down. And, and what I was able to do is utilize the tools and the learnings and of course, practice what I preach and just talk myself down from it by saying, this is your imposter syndrome coming back. You need to sit down. I actually had to take some time off. So I had to take uh, three or four days off um, because I needed some space to let all of the anxiety settle, the emotions settle. That's quite an advantage of running your own business is you can control your own schedule. And um, I knew that I had to step away because, um, and I know you, you talk a lot about this too, Ruby, when, when, when you're driven by fear, whether it's imposter syndrome or another fear-based response in your body, you're, you're triggering your brain's fight, flight, um, freeze or fall in response. And basically it clouds your judgment your brain and the cognitive and thinking parts of your brain actually feel with stress inducing, you know, hormones and what we call neurotransmitters. And you can't actually think properly is the, is the takeaway. And so if you're trying to think your way out of a fear-based response or a highly stressed or anxious response, when you're in it, you won't get very far because you actually can't think clearly. And so I'm just sharing. So I had to step away is the, is the takeaway and then talk myself down, realize that it was an imposter moment. And uh, after a couple of days, I was able to uh, just get back on the horse, so to speak, and say, okay, I know what that is. I've used my own tools and, um, and was able to work through it.
but that that's why it came back to me it was it was the pressure it was the spotlight and I put a lot of expectations on myself I mean nobody pushes herself as in I push myself I don't need someone to push me but all of a sudden when you're thrust into different spotlights um there's a lot of people looking at you and uh, I don't know if a lot of listeners can resonate with this, but something that surprises a lot of people about me, and it might surprise you, Ruby, because I can't remember if I told you when I met you, but I'm actually quite a shy person and I'm actually an ambivert. So I'm extroverted when I need to be and love it and social and love, of course, you see what I do, but I need my own private time. I need to retreat behind the scenes and have my private time. And a lot of people don't realise that about me, you know, which is fine and I don't share it that often. But um, so I get quite shy. So when that pressure came and the spotlight and everything, of course, I, I loved it. A part of me loved it and I worked hard for it. But then a part of me got really scared, <laughs> you know, and I want to, even as an expert, I, I got scared. I got fearful. The imposter syndrome came back. And so you're not alone if that happens to you. It happens to a lot of us. And uh, it happened to me, despite having a high level of expertise. I had a huge imposter moment. So that's, a, that's I guess, a little bit of the, the context of, of how it came back. But it hasn't come back since then. So that was 2019 and, um, you know, nowhere near to, to that moment. Every now and then when that voice pops in my head, I call my inner critic voice Amber. And I'm sorry if anybody named Amber is listening to this, please don't judge me. There is a funny story around why I've called that voice Amber. But when that voice pops up in my head or that sort of, you know, negative way of thinking comes back and you can sort of hear the negative self-talk, I just say, not today, Amber, not today. And it's a great tip I tell my listeners of naming the voice in your head, which helps you disconnect or what we call disassociate with it. So rather than believing it, because your thoughts are not facts, you start to go, hey, why, why is this voice happening to me? What has triggered me today? Who can help me? And you develop a more practical um, view rather than sitting in your own head and letting your negative thoughts and um, self-talk take over and then lead you back down that fear track. Oh, I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was super interesting. And thank you also for being honest and sharing that. I think a lot of people, as they go into running their own business, that is a big reason why people find marketing so difficult because mm. ultimately if you are the face of your business, you're doing what you were doing. I mean, you were incredible to be doing those sorts of big publicity things so early on in your business. A lot of people have to really work up to those sorts of experiences mm. But we really have to train our nervous system for that sort of exposure. And yes. there's certain things that we can do. And I'm sure in your work, you have some holistic modalities that you probably teach people as well, because there is that side of it that we often think, oh, this is all in my, in my head and I just have to work with the thoughts. But there's also the fact that physically, like you were talking about it feeling like a threat and we want to freeze. Mm. Yes. That's actually doing something to our physiology. And if we mm. don't understand that, 
we also over time will find it very hard to expose ourselves because our body will always want to recoil and and it, it's very easy to to think oh I must just deal with the head but actually like the body is is feeling that too mm-hmm. in the nervous system and I don't think there's a lot of I mean, unless you do certain types of yoga or you understand breath work and things like that, there's not a lot given to that understanding of what's actually going on with the body too, right? That's right. Couldn't couldn't yeah. have said it better. And you're right. The physi the physiological um, response, you know, um, is is very powerful. So in my, you're right. I mean, I share that in my work. So my certifications are also in neuroscience and and brain health, and I continually. Um, study those elements and I study the brain and I as in I've done that not only to learn all of those things but because of the links with imposter syndrome which is my expertise and 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 so I continually educate myself and all of my coaching frameworks and tools are science-based and evidence-backed and that means I use them with my clients and have coached many, many women around the world. I touch on them in my different workshops and speaking programs, and there's a real science behind them because of what you just said, um, Ruby, is that when when we are feeling um, imposter syndrome, which which drives a fear-based response in our body or something else is making us highly stressed or highly anxious or fearful or we're having a moment of self-doubt, it creates an emotional response in our body. And the difference between an emotional response and then our feelings are the emotional response is the physiological response you can feel in your body. So your hands might get clammy. You might get a little sweat moustache or start sweating. Your hands might be shaking, um, you know, shaking or trembling. Your legs might go numb or tingly. And so our stomachs, you know, when you feel like, oh gosh, I'm going to be sick, right? We feel nauseous. These are the emotional and physical responses that are driven. So exactly what you're saying, Ruby. And then we then give them a name and the name is the feeling. So we say, I am scared or I am fearful or I am threatened. And so we label that emotional response, which is why the labels that we choose to describe the emotional response are also very, very important Um, because are you nervous, you know, or are you scared or are you threatened or are you insecure? Or there's all of these different words that are important that we understand and can learn to accurately describe what's going on um, because you're right. There's And, and I do have a holistic um, view because I say, I always talk to my clients that imposter syndrome, as well as other fears and doubts, it's always a 360 degree view because to your point, it does impact our brains, then the emotional physiological response to our bodies. It impacts how we breathe. It's impacting how we're thinking, how we're moving our bodies. And so we have to look at it, not just in isolation, but we have to look at what what I call, um, and what my, I should say, my neuroscience teacher, Dr. Sarah Mackay calls, we look at um, the bottom up, the outside in and the top down. So the top down is the way you think, you know, your cognitive functions, those sorts of things. But the outside in is what's around you that's triggering the experience. And the bottom up are your current health, your current anxiety levels, your genes, things that run in your family and those sorts of things. So it's really important to to not look at imposter syndrome or fear or self-doubt in isolation 
because you can't tackle it. It's that it's that cliche of you can't pour from an empty cup. Right. And I, I just sent this um, note to my coaching clients at the moment and the headline was, you can't pour or beat fear from an empty cup. So I put it in inverted commas because we need energy to take on these things. We need to be thinking clearly. We need to have the anxiety under control. And it's really important to do that from a 360 degree view. So are you getting enough sleep? Um, you know, what are your fatigue levels? How do you break? You mentioned breathing techniques, which are excellent. And how do we break up sort of that stressed feeling with wonderful breathing techniques, which do work because Ruby's right. They then connect through to your nervous system and then they calm your brain and, and your central nervous system. So, you know, focusing on breathing isn't woo-woo, you know, or isn't it's it's really a must-have if you want to scientifically interrupt uh, a fear-based nervous system response um, and a few other things. But you're, you're you're spot on, which is why a lot of people try to think their way out of tough situations. But as I teach, you don't think your way out, you act your way out. Action conquers all, meaning if you're all having a stressful moment in your in your role right now, you're, you're on your computer or you know, then get outside, stop what you're doing right now and get outside, get some sunshine into your eyes or on your face, take your shoes off and walk on the grass, put some music on that empowers you that you love, dance around the house, go for a run, you might be listening to this podcast while you're out running, if you are very good, that's a good technique. So break up the environment, bring in your other senses, um, your sound, your nose, your ears, your touch, which is why um, I know for me, just quick share a personal tip. I really love to cook. Cooking relaxes me. Cooking allows me to work with my hands, to bring in my senses. I smell what I'm doing. I'm touching what I'm doing. And so it activates all of my other senses. So if I'm having an anxious moment or a stress moment, which let's face it, we all do when we're running our own business, right? No matter how successful we get, it's that entrepreneurial up, down, up, down, up, down, right? Then I, I, I cook to relax myself or to center myself. And so I think it's really important that we activate. Uh, it's not just really important, scientifically proven. Let's activate the other senses. Let's look at a holistic approach um, and think about think about acting your way out of it, as in taking action, not thinking your way out of it. Is is how I like to say. It. People try to battle their negative thoughts or their fears in their own in their own head. You will never win in your own head because your subconscious mind is too strong. It has too much control, even if you're consciously trying to take it on. You have to support it with action. You you can't just sit in new thoughts. You've actually got to go and act and do something. Yeah, that's such an important distinction. And I imagine that what you equip your coaching clients with then is their own personal toolkit, whether it be from things yes. that, that you teach them or things that they like you said, cooking, I, I totally agree with that. And I find that cooking, it's like meditation for me now. And I really do resist me too. It a lot, <laughs> but I also know that it, it really, especially at the start or the end of the day, it's a really nice bookend to the day because you, you, like you say, you need things. That's why I guess there's been the explosion of mindfulness activities and things, but I imagine a lot of people also without this toolkit, they, and I, I'm, I know there's a place for Western medicine and, and 
things like that. But I imagine they might run to the doctor and go, there must be something wrong with me. Like, uh, you know, and certainly if they need that help, I'm not saying that don't, don't do that, but equipped with the tools that you share with them, there might be a lot of people out there that miss understand what's going on with them and don't realize that they can actually potentially over time manage it themselves. Have you, have you noticed that, that, uh, there's been a lot more exposure around the word imposter syndrome, the concepts behind it, the research. But do you feel still feel there's a long way to go and that we could actually support people better rather than, you know, some of the, the other options that are out there? Um, yes, I do. Look, imposter syndrome itself, you know, the first sort of study and identification of it and the coining of the word imposter phenomenon, as it was known and is its real name, somewhere in the 80s, the word syndrome came into the mix. And what's really frustrating for us experts around the world is nobody knows who first called it imposter syndrome, which is because it's not a medically diagnosed syndrome, right? But it has been around, talked about research, pulled apart, dissected, etc., for, for nearly 50 years. Um, and it is a very real thing that impacts estimated impact around 70% of individuals. But in the last 10 years, more and more people are speaking about it, which is great because we elevate the conversation and, and people feel less alone because it can be a lonely experience. But with that comes the bastardization of the term. And it's very confusing to people who need help um, and want help. And I was one of those, you know, um, uh, back in the day. And, and so it really does sort of hurt me and infuriate me when I see misinformation thrown around about imposter syndrome, because imposter syndrome is, it's not a mentally diagnosed illness, but it is heavily linked to anxiety, depression, addiction, burnout, all of which are mentally uh, are mental illnesses on the mental health registrars. So the impacts of imposter syndrome are physical, mental, emotional, financial. It's a very serious thing. And so when it's bastardized, it obviously, you know, upsets us um, experts because we know the damage that's being done. Um, but I, I want to tell, I, I want to give a really clear indication of what imposter syndrome is for everyone listening to this. You know, we're at this sort of stage of, you know, the podcast, but essentially what imposter syndrome is, is when you, the individual, don't believe that you are good enough, smart enough, talented enough, um, qualified enough, um, to do you know whatever it is that you want to do or to be where you are right now, despite clear evidence of your accomplishments, your success, and your talent. So the real irony of imposter syndrome is, is that we are strong performers or capable performers. We are intelligent. We do have the runs on the board or the ability to launch the business or do these things. We have achieved a high level of success, whether it's previous career, current career, but we don't believe it. There's something blocking us. And because we don't believe that we're worthy of it, we're plagued by feeling that we're going to be exposed or found out to be some sort of intellectual fake phony or fraud. And that's where the name comes from. So imposter syndrome is a belief that we hold, that we, who am I to launch this business? Who am I to be on this podcast? Who am I to go off and do whatever it is that I want to do? And so it's tied to this innate belief in you, somewhere in you that you don't believe you're good enough, worthy enough to do it. And that can be quite debilitating because you are doing it 
or have the capability to do it. And this is the real paradox of imposter syndrome is it affects those of us who are capable, talented or successful or have the strong ability to be successful, right? Have the path in, in front of us. And so, you know, when we're, when we're not internalising our own success properly, when we're not speaking kindly to ourselves and letting the automatic negative thoughts take over our mind and our inner critic, it sends us down some really dark, self-sabotaging spirals and they impact back to what you're saying our physical health mental health how our body operates and so it's a very very serious thing and it can cost you your career it can cost you your success it can cost you your mental health if you sit in it for too long which you don't have to because there is a way out of it and so what really um, I'm going to get on my soapbox <laughs> for a minute but what really grinds my gears is when there's people out there who say, and this is literally true, unfortunately, imposter syndrome is not a real thing or some rubbish statements that are out there at the moment with people saying imposter syndrome is a superpower, which is the most ridiculous statement and horrifying statement to myself and other experts around the world. But, you know, there are people out there who would just say anything for a little bit of attention or for some sort of cheap marketing ploy, but it does a lot of damage. Okay, so if you're listening to this and you believe you're experiencing, you know, feeling of, oh, my God, they're all going to find out I'm not smart enough, good enough to be running this business or doing my side hustle or branching out into whatever it is I want to branch out into, then I want you to know you're not alone. 70% of us experience this. It, it, it does activate a fear-based response in your body and pretty much everything we've spoken about till now gives you great insight into that um, and just know that you can't outrun it. It's important that you stop and acknowledge that you might be experiencing imposter syndrome. You know, um, you speak to seek the help of coaches like Ruby or I or great mentors out there or excellent literature that's written or listening to this podcast. But please just take some micro steps to educate yourselves, know that you're not alone um, and seek the help that can help you move through it. Because I have seen and well, I've coached firstly a lot of amazing women who run businesses, want to launch businesses and those sorts of things, coach them through their imposter syndrome and they've gone on to do amazing things because what you don't want is for it to hold you back or to be blocking you right now from doing whatever it is that you want to do. Um, it's so important that we move through it. Yeah, I have a question on this. I'm curious to know whether you believe that the cultural narratives that we have around success it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman but I know that it's so funny even you get people on podcasts in the US and they'll talk about how we have that phrase tall poppy syndrome in Australia and New Zealand and I think even even other countries as well but it's the phrase that we use a lot here and mm -hmm. I feel as though our cultural narratives could also play into this and uh, amplify these feelings because also if we're, and I could be totally off here. No, no, you're actually think, spot on. Yeah, I think that the fact that we don't culturally accept success and really people stepping into their power and using their skills and, and shining, whatever, however you want to describe what that looks like, that is potentially going to leave people feeling imposter syndrome. I'm not good. I don't believe 
that I'm worthy and all of that and and fear that if they do do have some sort of worth that gets them the success that they want that oh, I'll be cut down anyway so I mm-hmm. you know I don't know I'm kind of I've just come to this realization but maybe you could speak to that whether you think that that the wider cultural narratives if if there was some work to shift those that maybe it would also influence how much people feel the effects of imposter syndrome. Yeah, well, I think so. You you make a really good point. Two points there. I'll come back to the tall poppy syndrome because that's very relevant in full stop <laughs> in the success of individuals, in particular women, because women are more often than not culturally, regardless of what religion ethnicity we're, we're growing up in, women are conditioned to be humble. And men or young boys, so I should say girls, are conditioned to be humble, which goes into being a woman and those sorts of things, sort of suppress success and, you know, be a good girl and do all these things and sure, be successful, but not necessarily too successful. And all of these different gender biases that do exist and they are real and they absolutely play a part and we cannot ignore those. So you're exactly right. Whereas boy, little boys conditioning and those sorts of things growing up to be men, et cetera, can be different. Um, so it does play a part. And certainly the environment in which you're in right now that you're exposed to does play a part in how your imposter syndrome, if you're experiencing that, shows up and how long it might hang around because some people are in far more triggering environments um, and, and that can impact how they're sort of navigating their way through imposter syndrome. And back to your sort of tall poppy syndrome, which I know is, is, is prominent in Australia, yes, certainly in New Zealand as well. And when I speak to people in New Zealand, this comes back up because it's this cultural conditioning of, sure, be successful, but not too successful. Don't isolate yourself from the pack. Don't put yourself above anybody else. Don't don't get too big for your boots, right? You know, or the who does he think she is or, you know, who does she think she is, that sort of thing. And and that's very real as well. So I'm certainly not going to sit here and say to everybody that's like an old cultural myth that's not there anymore. It is very much there. And I actually feel the way through it is firstly we acknowledge that it's there. And but what we need to do then, looking at ourselves, is, is understand what does what what does success? So it goes back to your why. This is to anyone listening to this. You whether you're pursuing your own business right now, a side hustle, have a desire to do so, whatever brought you to listening to this podcast, you're a creator, whatever it may be, you have a why. You, there's something in you you have a desire to do. And I encourage you to define, okay, what is that and understanding your why, but then what does success look like for you? And success looks like different things. Some of us are driven by money, some aren't. Some of us want to create this type of business, others want to create that type of business. Knowing what success means to you and what's going to make you truly happy and satisfied is very important, the clarity around that. Because one thing I'll tell you all right now is no matter what you do in life, you will be judged. You're going to be judged for not doing what you want to do. Someone will judge you for something else or you'll be judged for what you are doing by the people out there who are judges, which is not everyone, but there is a portion of the community who are. So my advice is you're better to be judged or looked upon for what you've done in achieving the success that you want to achieve that provides security for you, potentially your family, your extended family or whatever it is your vision for yourself than not doing those things and living with regret, which as we know is one of the, the you know biggest regrets of the dying is you know wishing that I actually pursued more of what I wanted to pursue. You know, there's some great literature out there around that. So tall poppy syndrome exists. 
It definitely can have an impact on those experiencing imposter syndrome because of the conditioning and the exposure that that is you know is out there. But I encourage you just to go back to your why and understanding that you are worth it. Your goal is worth it. Achieving the success that you want to achieve, whatever that is for you, is something that the world needs and will set yourself up, maybe your family, your extended family, et cetera. And that is more important. You know, as an individual, we have choices to make. Are we going to let others dictate our level of success or what's capable for us and our families, et cetera? Or are we going to take that control back and navigate our own path? Um, and if you surround yourself enough with the right people, then they'll be able to also, you know, help you navigate your way through that as well. Um, because it's not going away. So I, I think, Ruby, back to what you're saying, I think I think tall poppy syndrome, you know, especially in Australian culture, because it comes from the, the Aussie battler. You know, I know you grew up in New Zealand and, and they have their own version of talk, but for us, it's like, you know, Aussie battler, everybody's just got to have one home and this and that, and everybody's got to be equal. And sometimes when you break it down, it sounds a bit like communism, you know, not to sound, not to sound dramatic, but it, it's an old narrative that has stood the test of time. Um, and that is why, knowing your why, understanding what success means for you, pursuing your passions and your dreams because we only have one life. And let me tell you, time is fragile. We never know when our time is up. As I said at the start of this, you know, podcast, we, we, we all think we've got all the time in the world, but we don't. And I'm not suggesting wake up every day and act like it's literally your last. I'm not suggesting that panic, but let's not plan for 50 years because we don't, life is precious. We don't know what we're guaranteed. Um, and acknowledge the tall poppy syndrome and just know that, hey, it might come up, but when it does, you'll be so satisfied in your own work and so happy with what you're doing that it will be like water off a duck's back because anyone pushing tall poppy syndrome, we know that the insecurities are with them, mm. Not, mm. With, not with you, um, but it is a very real thing and thank you for bringing it up because um it plays a part in imposter syndrome as well and you know all this wanting to put a lid on you um you know there's always going to be somebody who wants to put a lid on you who wants to put it unfortunately it is the world that we live in there's always going to be somebody who becomes insecure around your success mm. and unfortunately sometimes I think this is important to share because I, I don't know you tell me if it comes up a lot in your work Ruby but it does for me often the people who can become most insecure around your success are often the people some of the people who are closest to you and it can be incredibly confronting when it is the sister, the mum, the friend, the, the brother, the husband who starts getting insecure about your success. And um, so these are things that we have to, you know, embrace and they're not easy. Um, but I encourage everybody to not give up your dreams for the sake of pleasing somebody else because that's a one-way ticket to regret later in life. It really is. Let's talk about the fact that you are now a coach and a speaker and presenter. You do some amazing, amazing work and work with a lot of really cool people. Thank you. And I think from hearing your story at a conference a few weeks ago now, I was really fascinated to hear that you were actually in a completely different field in many respects you wouldn't know it because you're an incredibly intelligent woman and you know your stuff when it comes to imposter syndrome but 
there was a time where you were transitioning out of the high-flying corporate world. And I'd love to dive into what prompted you to finally say goodbye and give up that ascension up the corporate ladder and all of those great things, guaranteed pay rises and all of that security (laughs) that we somehow go, I'm going to be crazy and start my own business. I'm going to do it in a completely different field as well. Go figure. Hey, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah don't, um, you know, no pressure, no pressure. So how was that? What what prompted you to make that decision and then dive into coaching and working for yourself? Yeah, it's, um, gosh, what a great place to start. And, um, and I was kind of just laughing then as you're saying, you know, giving up the security and And all of these things that, you know, if we hold down our corporate jobs, we are essentially guaranteed, you know, getting our salary and those sorts of things. And it was it was a few things for me. So um, and and I'll share them all because I think they kind of contextually give a a broader picture. Um, So for me, yes, had, you know, was living the corporate dream, was holding senior roles. I was a leader in my previous life, predominantly across the technology sector. So I worked for some large American companies and, um, you know, and ascended up through, through the ranks and those sorts of things. And I think for me, I've always had a natural leadership or leader capability like I remember being a young girl and I grew up with two brothers so I was a little bit of a tomboy and I was always playing with the boys as as well as the girls you know had and I always had this natural leadership so I was always leading from the front um and always like helping people and and pulling people along with me and people naturally leaned on me for that so I think it was sort of in me which helped you know eventually stepping out of corporate and launching my own thing Um, And then I also had um, some negative experiences in my corporate life with bully bosses and um, bullying and harassment and sexual harassment and a few other things that made me realise that as I ascended up the ranks that I wasn't, that there was a lot of instability and I realized that there are a lot of people around me who actually had, and this is my my own story, so I'm not speaking for the entire corporate world um, by no means, but I just realized that the security that I thought I had could have been easily taken away by people, you know, who were wrong, but had a lot of power. And so there was a lot of different power dynamics and things shifting for me as a woman at the time, sort of going up the ranks. And it made me realize that, hey, like, I really should be controlling my own destiny. And I really had a desire to do that. And I had bigger goals and aspirations and I believed my corporate career could give me. So that was the sort of started to be the separation um, of that. And then the third part um, to answer your question was in 2017, I lost a very close friend to cancer. And she was very young, early 30s, we were the same age. She had a one-year-old son. And the trauma, the the sheer devastation of that, losing her for her own family, the fact that her life on this earth was over, and the real tragedy and grief that hit me was a very tough time. But what came out of that was a lot of self-reflection of me saying to myself, what are you doing? Why are you... Um, not following your dreams? Why are you not following that entrepreneurial um, itch and all these other things that were going on? So it was it was grief that actually made me realise the fragility of life and that the clock is always ticking. 
and we think we've got time. And I, for years, I know a lot of people listening to this might think I'll do it next year. I'll do it in two years. I'll do it after I get the next promotion. And look, sometimes some of those things are, are valid. And sometimes because of our family situation or financial situation, et cetera, we, we might need to bake in a little bit of time, but we will lean on that excuse forever. If we, if we allow ourselves to. And so I realize that, well, hang on, um, not to sound dramatic, but I realize that what if something happens to me tomorrow? Or is my life really um, guaranteed? Am I going to be here for the next 50 years? You know, I hope so, but et cetera. And so I was having all this introspective time and I just realized that the clock was ticking and now was the time. And so that was 2017. I didn't make the jump until 2019. Uh, so I want to be clear on that as well. It still took me some time. I had to ride those roads, but that was a little bit about the journey. So it was a bit of me, what was in me growing up and a desire. It was hitting some hurdles in the corporate world and me realizing that I felt like people would always restrict my ambition. My desire to climb higher would ultimately hit a wall. Um, and then it was a loss of my friend Lizzie. So it was a bit of a trifecta, which led me to, to make the jump. So I just thought I'd contextually, I know it was a longer answer, but there was a few pieces. So I wanted to give sort of the true story. Yeah, re really interesting. I, I had a similar experience where I lost an older friend who to cancer as well. And she was someone that I worked with. And I think that at that time I had started coaching, but I really hadn't taken it super seriously. And I think you unfortunately that's just the way the universe works that it'll throw little little tests at you and then sometimes it just has to throw that what feels like a rock at you mm. for you to suddenly go oh I, this is my sign to really wake up and yeah like you said you you just get into that grind don't you when you're in corporate and, and you feel like even though you said there was some uncertainty and the, there's enough ahead of you, there's enough clues around you to say, oh, I kind of know what this is like. It gets really familiar. It gets really stable. Mm. And so it's, it's also undoing a lot of those patterns I find as well. And that's been so much of my work. And, you know, there's all the money stuff that goes with that as yeah. well. When you start to do your own thing, you realize, oh, hang on, got all this to, <laughs> to unpack as well yeah. that I didn't realize. And so that, that instability fuels us because we get excited by the prospect of doing our own thing, but also the fact that we've been in this fairly safe environment somewhat it does certainly mean that we get into the entrepreneurial game and we think, oh yeah, if I just do these things, it's all going to work. When you started your business, was that the case or, you know, what was that like? Because I know for mm. me, I come out of architecture, prestigious environment, you held, held mm. some pretty good titles. Yeah. And then really, even if you are very good at what you do as a coach and, you know, you can really help people, it almost doesn't matter because it still feels like you're starting from scratch. So tell me a little bit about that experience and what that was like for you. We, maybe that also brought up some of the imposter syndrome again for mm. you so we can dive <laughs> into that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I, I know we'll certainly tie that in. And I guess before I answer that question, one thing I'll say is before I embarked on 
being a full-time coach and speaker, I, throughout my corporate career, you know, in pre previous life, I, I call it, even though I'm still heavily connected to it, had always been an advocate of coaching, mentorship, sponsorship, just supporting people around you, helping your teammates, I guess, leading even without a leadership title. And then we make it, you know, and just doing those things. So I'd, I'd always invested in my own coaching and mentoring. I'd always invested in my own tertiary education, ongoing education and those sorts of things. So it was very familiar to me to have invested in those things and for them to be around me. And then I obviously had a desire to, to become that and share my knowledge and, and obviously continually grow and get better as well and, and help people. And so to answer your question, I whilst I was working full time, I embarked on my first coaching certification. So I used my time outside of working hours, of course, to do the study and everything I needed to do to acquire that first certification. So I think that's a great tip in that whilst you're still working or before anyone is listening to this dips the toe into whether it's a side hustle entrepreneurship new business whatever you want to call it that there is lots you can do whilst you are working within reason but there's often little little bits that you can do so that was the start of the journey so I started doing it whilst not um, causing any ripples in, in, in my current role. So it was good to get that. And then I'm a big believer and so I believe in the law and this is a whole other podcast episode but I believe in the law of attraction i believe in energy and i believe in manifestation and 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 i believe there's a real science around all of that as well so i started to plant the seed to my network and people that i trusted and you know and i said to them i'm looking to actually launch my own coaching business and i want to coach in imposter syndrome and confidence and i want to work with women or those who identify as women or non-binary and i believe i bring you know a lot of different expertise to the table around that. And so I just started planting the seed and I'm a huge advocate of network. I mean, that's what brought you and I together as, as well, being a part of Gen Collective and knowing some of the same people and those sorts of things. And so I just started to plant the seed and I would tell the people I trusted and they were like, oh gosh, Alison, we know, you know, a, a woman or a person or a couple of people to introduce you to. So I started planting the seeds behind the scenes, which again, I think is a great tip because often we wait to officially start, well, I'm doing inverted commas, and so I don't know if you can all see me, but we wait till we officially start something before we start talking about it or planting the seed or chatting to network or gathering things behind the scenes. And a lot of the work you can do before you literally sort of start and sort of, you know, and, and so that's how, that's how I did it. And then that's how I actually secured my first couple of clients. I was still working full time. So I was coaching in the evening or on a Saturday um in in our slots um just a couple of clients and I thought you know what this does have legs I mean I believed it had legs but you're still you know stepping into it and then um I I want to say I'm very much to anyone listening a Gemini and what I mean by that is I'm all in or I'm not in at all so anybody who knows me knows that you get Alison Shamir 100% or you don't get me at all and I'm completely okay with that. I give 100% to the work that I do. I'm here on this podcast today, 100% with you. And if I'm not there, I'm not there. But there's no in-between. There's no half ass. There's no 99% is good enough. I, I believe, you know, that you go all in. This is me, right? So this was my method. And so I thought this has legs and uh, I'm going to do it and I'm going to make the leap. Um, but whilst I was doing those other two things just quickly, because I, I want to be absolutely truthful on this podcast is I was also saving money. 
So I built up the equivalent of six months. Um, so from a practical standpoint, let me step back for a moment. I said to myself, if I start this business and I literally do not make $1, not $1 for six months, how much money do I need to cover my expenses, my mortgage, you know, every like live moderately, not, not indulge, but have enough to, to get by? What do I need? And I worked out that figure and then I timed it by six months and I ensured I had that money away in the bank before I started the business. Why? Not just for the obvious, but because the one thing you don't want immediately when you start a business is immediate financial pressure. Now, I'm not suggesting everyone listening to this has to have six months worth of money. We all come from different backgrounds, different salaries, different money management. But one of the biggest things you can do to work against yourself is be under financial pressure from day one because nothing nothing makes you feel pressure like not being able to cover your your bills or provide for your children or pay your mortgage of course and those sorts of things and they are going to be detrimental to business success so I also did that and they were the three parts um, that gave me the springboard to say right I'm going to do it yeah Uh, you're so smart (laughs) I feel like (laughs) thank you I'll take the compliment (laughs) if I have my time again Look, I definitely worked alongside starting coaching as well. And so I'm not, I wasn't 100% all in. And I kind of knew that about myself. I think you can't assume that you're someone that you're not or that your beliefs are automatically going to change. So you knew as well that, look, I'm a person that values, I imagine you value some level of security and you don't you don't want to be crazy about this and you have a partner and a mortgage like you said mm-hmm. and so I think that's such good advice that so many entrepreneurs don't really share that often as they don't really go back to the very beginning because we often think that someone's made it and therefore they must have been making a full-time salary the moment they started. Yes, no, I wasn't. (laughs) Almost never the case, almost never the case. And somehow you, there are the odd people that secure all of their clients before they go out full-time, but that's very, very rare. And so I think that's really smart, just practical advice. (laughs) And I agree. You, you want to be able to focus on your clients too, right? You wanted to be able to, get them results and if you're in a call and you're thinking I have to secure this person as a client for the next three months or else that neediness will definitely seep through so it allowed you to probably relax I imagine yes okay I can really enjoy coaching these women and get the most for them and I don't have that pressure which is something that I think a lot of people don't realize you need. Yes. And I, well, first, I totally agree with that. And the other thing I, I, I see that people don't realize is that you can always, so you're right about, I was able to, and actually, let me just take a step back for a moment. You're right on the personality thing of me wanting to go all in. Yeah. Just to reiterate to everybody, but yes, that's very much because I know my own personality and I know what works for me. And I encourage all of you listening to this, that if you're somebody who can straddle both working full-time and starting a part of the business, you know, after hours or on the weekend, 
I think that's great. If you're as I think if you're somebody who uh, wants to maintain a side hustle for a bit longer, whatever it is, what's important is that you believe you're working to your strengths. Because we also, I was working to mine in that I believed if I didn't focus on it 100%, I wouldn't be able to present and perform at my best. So I backed myself into that. But yes, I, I'm not suggesting that's yeah, the model for everyone. So I love what you said is in find what works for you. If you believe you can manage both, if you believe you've got to go all in, I just think one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten is just to listen to those instincts of how you believe you can do it. Are you presenting and performing at your best? I believe is how you should be measuring yourself because to your point, Ruby, yes, if I was sitting on calls and I was thinking about my high corporate role or I was thinking about these other things and you're not truly present and I don't believe we can do our best work if we're not truly present, especially when somebody is paying for your services. So I'm a coach. People are investing their two most precious commodities, their type three, their time and attention, which is two, and third is their money. When they come to me for coaching, three, the most precious commodities, right? So I wanted to be there 100% for them. And the other part I was going to share there is when we start a business, what's important to note is you can always increase. You can always put your rates up as you become more confident or more experienced or get more testimonials or change your business line or introduce a new offering. We forget that we can go up. And we can go up and up and up. Well, or we might hit where we're happy and that's great. And we forget that. So when I started coaching, you know, my package or hourly rates to what they are now, three years later, are chalk and cheese. And that is because I have continued to grow. My expertise has continued to get stronger and, and all the things that grow with, with your business. And so even me, who's, who's you know, an expert in her field on imposter syndrome, I'm not the same as I was on day one of my business, and, and nor should anybody be. In fact, imagine if you're the same three or four years on or three, even two years on from how you started. You know you're not doing something right if you're still exactly the same. So don't be frightened to grow, to change, to test, to learn. Um, we put so many... Um, you know, sort of barriers in our own way often. That could be because perhaps we're driven by our own imposter syndrome or there's other things going on. But um, just know you can twist and turn, you can grow, you can learn, you can be agile. That's part of the fun of running your own business is that you get to make that decision based on the data or the experiences or the testimonials or your own growth. But don't be frightened to grow and change because that's the biggest part of the journey. I think in business and, and you have no uh, ceiling apart from what you put on yourself. You literally control your own destiny. Mm. You, you know, you, you want to earn $50,000 a year. Great. You want to earn a million dollars a year. Great. You control your own destiny, right. And the pathway to it. And I think that's what's um, important to share, you know, as well. Oh, I think that takes our conversation full circle. You did that well, Alison. Thank you. <laughs> Thank um, you. Yeah. You've got can some you, talent for this. <laughs> can but you tell I'm a professional speaker? I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Before we go, I've got a bit of a fun question to ask you because I always do a little research and this is why I guess making sure that you're active on your social media is important because people are going to research you if you are going to be a podcast guest <laughs> and hint to the people out there. But I was, I was oh having. God, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit nervous Allison's. now. I'm a bit nervous. <laughs> she knows that I'm going to ask her. So there's a few Kardashian memes on there. <laughs> Tell me about this. <laughs> oh, the, I don't. I. I 
I just love, I do love memes. Okay. Yeah. So I think one of the, just quickly, one of the, from my own mental health, like I, I love having a laugh. I, I, I know you're the same. You know, laughter is a wonderful thing and having a smile and having a laugh and not, although I'm quite a serious person in particular, I, I actually don't take myself too seriously. So I'm very much that Gemini. I can have a laugh. I can, for an Australian colloquial saying, I can take the piss, you know, have a, have a, it's, um, I, I don't take things too seriously. You never know my work is serious, but I don't know. I love a meme. They, they make me, they make me laugh. I love them when you come across the internet and I like incorporating memes into my work, you know, or some sort of Instagram posts and things like that. So I don't know. I find that back to the point of that, the Kardashians, um, I don't know, I guess they're just meme worthy and lots of memes come up and look, a lot of them I change. So I, I then edit them to say what, what I want them to say in line with the picture. Um, but I guess they're just so, there's just lots of content served up, isn't there? So it's like it's um, there's some great images, and I don't know if it comes to if I see it, and something comes into my head, I um, I jump on it. So I, I think there's just um, yeah, there's the I think I think the world's a great place when it's got a few memes in it, and you can have a laugh. And I think you know just. Um, think back to what you're saying about that awesome context of what you're saying around the sort of physiological response and just laughter and just breaking it up with that I think is um is a good thing yeah. and so I, I like to bring a bit of humor and I, I I like to I'm not suggesting I'm a funny person I mean that's not for me to say but I do like to have a laugh you know and I, I do like to have a good time and um I think it's good for our mental health as well you're right and I think the irony also in that is I I, I don't necessarily love the Kardashians, but I think the level of success that they have had and how they've curated themselves and pursued it almost at all costs where they'll ma manipulate themselves. I don't agree with all of that side of it, but I do think the level of success says also there's like an under underlying thing around you know don't go after your success go after what you want maybe not at the cost of certainly things that in, in, author, in authenticity yeah not, <laughs> not at the not at the cost of blatantly lying <laughs> and um and I'm not going to bring down the cabinet you know not at the cost of photoshopping yourself or um changing you know your complete body and then saying you haven't had surgery and and, and completely fabricating a lot of the stuff that you say so yeah not not at that cost but certainly they give us a lot of um good lesson in capitalizing on um success and growing your brand you know from there and going up and up and up mm. you know one thing I love just back about the well, on the Kardashians I mean this could be it's a whole other podcast but it's um when you look back to their story you know people see where they came from and how they and, and the, but what they've been able to do is 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 capitalize and whether whether people agree with it or not but on brand and these sorts of things and you, there's a lot of lessons we can take not not from them as people but on the brand building mm. and on the growth and on, like you know look at the kardashians 15 years whenever they started whenever the show started i think early 2000s to now they don't even look, they don't look the same. I mean, a lot of that is inauthentic, but there's been so much progression. So back to what I said at the beginning of this podcast, don't, in, in, of course, in an honest and authentic way, but grow, scale, change, adapt, leverage your brand, grow your business. I know some people listening to this, um, this came up the other day that I wanted to drop in for you. So I saw a wonderful woman who had a podcast and uh, she had a podcast that was successful anyway, and she decided to change the name of it. And go in a completely different, well, sort of same, same, but different, but change the name, change everything. 
And I thought that that was just so fantastic because there are a lot of people who, as you know, have something established or we're in business or we're doing something and we think, I can't change my mind. I can't change direction. I can't introduce a new business line. I can't sell different consultants, whatever you're doing, right? But I want you all to know that you can. Now, if you've got imposter syndrome, that might be telling you you can't, but I can, you know, Ruby and I can help you with that and navigate your way through. You know, we're, we're great coaches, but it's, um, don't, what, what's, what am I trying to say? Don't, um, don't put the ceiling on yourself. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. Don't, don't put it on yourself. Don't put yourself in a box, right? If you're, if you're in a real niche and you want to stay in it, great, right? But if you want to grow and adapt and in two years time, you change or you're listening to this and you're two years into your business you're like oh I've got this other idea I want to pursue if you generally want to pursue it please do please do and seek out coaches or mentors or a network or a community who can help you and support you and cheer you on um, and have a laugh back to the Kardashian thing I just I think laughter is such a release such a um, helps you emotionally physically and it helps you not take life too seriously you know, and, and I take my own advice on that because I can definitely, I definitely fall into very, where I'm very focused in a real work mode. My, my wife, Tully, calls it in the zone. When people see me in the zone, I literally can't see anything around me. I go into this zone of work or focus, but then I need to break that with, you know, some laughter with some friends or, you know, um, someone making a joke or, you know, a message from a friend. And I, I think it, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. So, <laughs> Um, and when I met you, Ruby, actually, just to, I wanted to, I, just, I felt that too. I just instantly felt like I loved your smile and I felt like you could laugh and um, we don't take ourselves too seriously. I see that in you as well. Like we ask, we do serious work, but I think it's really great just to have a laugh and a joke. And um, and so get some memes in your life, people, because <laughs> um, that's what, if I'm not watching, if I'm not watching dog videos and animal videos, which I love, I'm uh, I'm uh, following memes um, across the internet, so that's, that's where I spend some <laughs> some of my casual social media um, browsing. <laughs> yeah, very good. Uh, you're a true inspiration, Alison. It's been wonderful to talk to you, and I feel like we could talk for hours because there's so many threads to pull on this conversation, even just in the subject of success and imposter syndrome and all of the amazing facets of your work and thank you for pursuing this because the world's a better place for you in it and for them the amazing women that whose careers I'm sure will benefit in the future but thus far like we where some people have gone as a result must be really cool to be a part of I know that's one of the coach you're on the sidelines you know but you're it's really quite rewarding to see what people achieve with the the insights that you give them and support mm. and things so thank you and appreciate your time it's been wonderful no thank you so much for having me it's um I've loved it so I really appreciate your time as well <laughs>